Hey there, I'm Eric J. Olson. And I'm Kevin Daisy. You're listening to the Managing Partners Podcast, where we interview top lawyers about how they're growing their firms. Hey, everybody, it is Eric J. Olson. And as you can see from that cool scrolling ticker right there, uh, right there, I am here for a live airing of the Managing Partners Podcast. Now, today I'm going to bring on my guest and read his intro. Jeff Tenenbaum is a managing partner of the nationally recognized Washington, D.C. Tenenbaum Law Group, PLLC. Jeff Tenenbaum and his colleagues and his colleagues counseled their 350-plus clients on the broad array of legal issues affecting charities, trade and professional associations, international NGOs, and other nonprofits. That's a lot of clients, Jeff. That's Well, we'll talk about that in a sec. Now, Jeff is one of the nation's leading nonprofit attorneys and is also an accomplished author, lecturer, and commentator on nonprofit legal matters. He is frequently called upon by major media outlets to provide commentary on news stories involving nonprofit legal issues and developments, and has served as an expert witness in several court cases on nonprofit legal matters. Learn more about Jeff, the firm, and his practice on this episode of the Managing Partners Podcast. What's up, Jeff? Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks, thanks for the intro. That was really good. Actually, this is probably our best intro ever. And uh, <laughs> for everyone who's watching, Jeff uh, really, really, really helped craft this one. I really like that last part. I'm going to steal that if you're cool with it. You know, I, I actually I, I get the sense that you do a decent amount of marketing, which is, you know, what we like to talk about here, marketing and how marketing can grow a law firm. We'll get into that, but tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, maybe some of the clients not by name, of course, but just uh, kind of give us an overview of, of what wasn't covered in this intro. Sure. Gladly. I'll, uh, I'll keep it brief. So I have been an attorney in private practice in Washington, D.C. for 25 years, uh, all of it exclusively representing uh, nonprofit organizations, primarily as outside general counsel, dealing with a very broad array of all of their different legal issues. So I'm not a litigator. I'm more of a kind of an outside general counsel providing advice and, and counsel and guidance on a very broad array of legal issues. I spent most of my career, 19 years of it, chairing the nonprofit practice at a large national law firm called Venable. Uh, beginning of last year, I started my own firm, Tenenbaum Law Group, with another attorney and our assistant. We've since added a, a third attorney last month. We are a boutique based in downtown Washington, D.C., focused exclusively on the representation of nonprofit organizations. Uh, our clients are a mix of trade and professional associations, which has always been a big focus of my practice, along with other types of nonprofits, charities, foundations, international national NGOs as an area I do a lot of work, uh, think tanks, arts and cultural institutions, et cetera. Our, our clients are all across the country. They tend to be national organizations. You know, they tend to be on the in a medium to large size, some of the largest nonprofits in the country we represent. But especially now in, in the smaller firm, kind of boutique, smaller firm setting with a lot less overhead and a lot more cost efficiency, we're able to, and more and more competitive billing rates, we're able to, to represent a lot of small nonprofits uh, on a very cost-efficient basis, which has been really gratifying as well. In terms of the type of work that we do, uh, we counsel on everything from federal tax exemption, unrelated business income, to contracts and corporate governance, bylaws, conflicts of interest, copyright and trademark issues, uh, protection, licensing, infringement, a wide array of employment issues, regulation of lobbying and political activity. We do a lot of work with conferences and meetings, uh, contracts, dealt a lot last year during COVID with meeting cancellations and all of the uh, 
trying to avoid cancellation penalties for our clients and all sorts of issues in that area. Do a lot of uh, work with joint ventures, mergers, do a lot of investigations. Um, it's a really broad array of, of, of work and our, our clients tend to come to us for everything. Every day is a little bit different. I typically on a given day am, am probably working on touching, you know, 25 different clients on, on average, sometimes more. And my colleagues, uh, Nisha and Julie, you know, tend to, to, to focus on, you know, they're, they're taking a deeper dive in certain things. So they're focusing on less, but it, it's every day is different. It's a blast. I've had a blast for 25 years doing this, but I have to say, I love my time at Venable and it was, a, it was a great 19 years there, but I've never had as much fun practicing law, being a managing partner of, of my own firm and having this sort of control. And we're having a blast with it. As you said, pretty surprising after only 16 months, 17 months now that we have over 350 kind of active clients. It's been incredible growth. That's why we hired another lawyer. And we don't obviously work on 350 clients every day. Uh, that's not the way that the practice works, but you know, it's a wonderful mix of clients, uh, wonderful people, many clients who I've worked with for in some cases, 15 or more years, but it's, it's a very fun dynamic practice that, that I very much enjoy. That, that's a great story. Congratulations. So uh, 16 Thank or you. so months ago. So we're talking about you, you opened your firm. January probably. 1st of, of, uh, of 2020. Yes. Okay. Right. Two months before the pandemic. Yeah. And you were thinking this is going to be great. 2020 is going to be amazing. <laughs> what was that like for you when, you know, obviously everything changed? Yeah. I, was I nervous? Of course. Uh, you know, we had a great start. You know, we, we had probably 100 clients on board kind of within the first week, you know, when wow. we opened, you know, got a lot of prior relationships, things like that. But uh, I was very concerned. I had all these plans to host, you know, in-person gatherings of CEOs and general counsels and other things at our offices in downtown D.C. And, you know, all of that went out the window. Thankfully, we were set up really well, had a, a great technology consultant who, who set us up kind of re all re you know, remote from the beginning, you know, all cloud-based, everything else. So we were able to seamlessly, our phone system through Vonage, were able to you know, have everything redirected to our, our cells and things like that. And so it was a very seamless transition. And look, the, the pandemic has been horrific for everyone in so many ways, but there's always silver linings to everything. And one of the silver linings for us is that... Uh, particularly with the associations and all of the kind of the meeting and conference cancellations that had to occur last year because of the pandemic. Uh, I got out there as I typically do whenever there are new kind of hot button issues in the nonprofit world. And I did a lot of writing and speaking right out of the gate on those issues. And that kind of gave me a very high profile on these issues and in that space. And it drove probably at least 150 clients that we signed up last year that came into us for help with their meetings and conference contracts. But as is the way that I've typically worked over the years, you know, I, I wanna I want to be kind of a one-stop shop, do as much work for clients as we can, but it often starts with one thing. You do great work, you turn it around quickly, you're cost efficient, you're responsive, you're practical. And then if the clients know about all of the other work that you do in other areas, which I'm very, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure in a few minutes, then they tend to come back to us and say, oh, wow, these guys were great. You know, Jeff, Nisha, these are, you know, great attorneys to work with, they had such a great experience. So the next a legal issue comes up, they come back, you know, in other areas, whether it's future conferences and contracts, whether it's anything else, kind of the things I mentioned earlier, other things too, like antitrust issues and, and whatnot. And so many of those 150 clients that we brought on that were driven in through pandemic related legal issues, you know, have now stayed with us in a much broader relationship. And that's been fantastic. That's really good. Yeah. You know, when I was reading the intro, I was pretty impressed with a lot of the things that you've done here. So uh, you know, you, you you mentioned writing, you mentioned speaking, author. Did you put a book out or was that author of, of other things? Other... Uh, I did write a book. Well, actually, now I've written two, but the, the second one's not a real book. But the, the first <laughs> book, very exciting uh, topic called Association Tax Compliance Guide. Ooh. 
I wrote the first edition back when I was a very young lawyer. It was published by the American Society of Association Executives, which is the place that I worked when I was during the day when I was going to law school at night and how I kind of fell into this whole world of associations and association law. It was a nightmare project. R- wrote it in the middle of the night over a period of many, many months. Mm-hmm. Um, I did get a lot of help from my colleagues in the second edition when I was at Venable. So I, I wrote that book, but frankly, I- I'm never going to write another real book like that again. It was just way too much damage. It's a lot of work. But I do write a ton of articles and I do a ton of speaking. And I've always done that. Shorter articles. I've never done as much speaking as I've done in the last year. And I think that's another silver lining for us from the pandemic was the ability to do, you know, Zoom webinars and, you know, not just Zoom, but other platforms, obviously. Yeah. But the ability to do video webinars so easily, you know, right here from my home in, in D.C. I did at least 75, you know, video webinars last year. And I'm on a pace right now to do even more. I just keep getting asked all the time from all different organizations to do these. And it's so easy. It's so time efficient, you know, just come in, come out. I don't really need to prepare for most of these because it's stuff that I deal with every day. And that has really helped to increase our visibility, you know, our firm's visibility, my visibility kind of in the association and in the nonprofit space. And then what I've always been big at, I was big on it at Venable, the marketing staff. Sometimes I drove them crazy because I was always so big on doing this. But when you have content, articles, you know, uh, video webinars now, these recordings, which we never really had before. Actually, kind of pioneered a program when I was at Venable to start doing that. But now it's so easy. You press a button to hit record, you know, while you're, you're doing one of these things. And all of a sudden you have content. And for most of the ones that I do, I'm able to, you know, ask and the organizations will let me, you know, uh, download a, a copy of the recording. And then we put all of them on our website. And we also now we created fairly recently a YouTube channel where we post them all on there. And we kind of cross link from our site to the YouTube channel. And you know a lot more than I do about search engine optimization and things like that. But it really makes a different content is king, right? And we have so much content because of all the articles and the, and the recorded webinars and, and that sort of stuff. And that helps, you know, for instance, I talked about trying to show a client who comes in that we do work in all these other areas, but there's no better way to do that than to show them a recording of a presentation I gave on a given topic, or I do a lot of these Q and A's like ask the nonprofit lawyer, anything you want for an hour. I do those a ton and, and can kind of showcase our expertise in all of these different areas. It's a win-win. You know, people get their questions answered, they get great information, and then we can capture that content and reuse it, repurpose it, and, and showcase our talent to other clients and prospective clients. And, and it really works well. Yeah, I think content is king. I 100% agree with that. But also, one of the things they have going for you that maybe some other managing partners or even just business owners don't have going for them is the niche, right? So you're, you've niched into a particular industry, nonprofit associations in particular. And so you're getting known very, very well within that community and potentially to the detriment of being known outside of the community. But that's okay because your ideal prospect, I assume, are those people in that community. And that's who you want to reach. And so you're establishing a reputation there. I'm guessing that's where all of these speaking invitations are coming from is because people know you in the industry. Was that part of your marketing plan going in or did you just kind of fall into it? Well, you know, I'm lucky that I've always had a high profile, especially in the association community. And now more broadly in certain sectors of the nonprofit community, because the nonprofit community is kind of almost divided up by sectors, you know, from arts and cultural institutions to international mm-hmm. NGOs to foundations, to higher ed, to healthcare. And and I've been lucky to have a high profile in that area for a long time. And you're right, it is a very niche area. And that has definitely helped. 
I mean, I used to, the, the management at, at Venable used to ask me to do presentations on business development and marketing to partners or partner retreats and to associates and others. And that was one of the things I used to, I remember having some conversations with like commercial litigators and they'd say like, how do I rise above the crop? Like there's so many commercial litigators out there. How do I, you know, demonstrate, you know, how do I get known and visible? And I said, it's a lot harder, right? And, and I, you also don't have, you know, the same kind of substantive expertise in a given field. I've always felt lucky that the nonprofit bar, the association bar, these are pretty small clubs. Like I, I'm heavily involved in, in groups like the American Society of Association Executives and the American Bar Association's nonprofit committee. I, I chair their association subcommittee. And when we get together a couple of times a year, hopefully in person again soon, you know, it's like old home week, you know, the ASAE has this association law symposium, at least they used to, you know, in the, in the gathering, this small group of, of lawyers, but it, you're right, from a marketing and business development perspective, it does make it easier to stand out. And then when you raise the profile even more by doing all of these things and other people see you, and obviously you have to do a good job, you know, then they come back and you get more opportunity. We have a question here from Kevin Daisy, who is the co-host of the Managing Partners podcast. He does some interviews, I do others. Uh, so Kevin asks, what are some of the legal challenges your nonprofit clients have faced in the wake of COVID-19? Well, first off, I will direct you to the 100 plus or so recorded webinars on our on our site and our YouTube channel, because most of them relate to these issues. Uh, this has been, and even when I do these, you know, hour long, ask the uh, nonprofit lawyer anything you want, almost all the questions for the last 17 or year or so, year plus, have been about COVID-related legal issues. Yeah. Some of the big areas, uh, last year, the big issue was cancellation of in-person meetings and conferences, and how can we get out without yeah, paying a lot or any penalties, you know, pursuant to force majeure clauses and contracts and things like that. As we now start to pivot, and a lot of our clients are planning in-person meetings or hybrid kind of in-person virtual meetings, the in-person components, we've been getting a ton of questions about risk and risk management, liability risk. How can we as the meeting sponsor mitigate our risk if someone you know, contracts COVID at our, our event, you know, should we use liability waivers? Now, one of the hot topics is should we mandate, are we allowed to mandate vaccinations as a precondition to attendance? Hot topic in, in the association world. Another big issue that we're dealing with that's COVID related is workplace reopenings, as a lot of uh, nonprofits are contemplating uh, the return to the workplace, either gradually or for some, they've already done it in areas where, where it's allowed under, under state or local law. And there's a lot of questions about, you know, what are we obligated to do to avoid being negligent in how we operate the workplace from a COVID perspective? And what sort of protocols do we have to follow? And can or should we mandate vaccinations? Do we have to make exceptions in certain cases, which you do? So these are some of the issues that, that we deal with quite a bit, and, and these are very much top of mind. So, Kevin, those are great questions. I don't want to get into the substance anymore, but there is a ton of stuff on our website if anyone's interested. Uh, briefly, are you seeing that your clients are being held liable for COVID incidents in, I don't know, with their, with their customers or with their staff? I mean, it's a great question. And the short answer is for all of the, you know, dozens and dozens of webinars that I've given and hundreds and hundreds of questions that I've taken and, and clients have counseled on this. The short answer is no, I'm not aware of anyone, at least in my clients or even other nonprofits that I'm aware of being held liable, you know, for someone who say allegedly contracted COVID. Yeah. But part of it is there haven't been a lot of in-person gatherings yet. There haven't been a lot of workplace reopenings yet. So there hasn't been that opportunity for that to happen. And obviously, hopefully with, with vaccines and whatnot, um, and the decline in the virus, we're not going to see those sort of things. This is more kind of 
prophylactically, what, what should an organization do to protect themselves? And I think they're, they're asking the right question. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the world is changing very rapidly back to the old world. Uh, just as an example, I've been going to the YMCA for the last several months. I went this morning and they didn't, uh, they didn't take my temperature. You know, usually they, they get me here or they get me here. Not today. So very, very quickly, it seems like to me, you know, after about a year and a half of lockdown, things are changing. So I would imagine that, yeah, with in-person events, this is going to be a big hot topic. Now, do you have to bring your COVID card? Asking for a COVID card, is that a problem? Like, that's a lot of unknowns. Yeah, these are the questions that we're dealing with. And by uh, the way, the short answer is from a legal perspective, both on the employment front and on the meetings front. And the legal construct is very different for the two, because there's a lot of laws that protect employees that do not apply for like conference attendees, mm-hmm. you know, Title VII and the Civil <laughs> Rights Act and things like that. But the short answer is in both cases, is if you want to legally, you generally can require vaccinations as a precondition to coming into the office, to traveling for work, to attending a conference. You have, for employees, you have to make exceptions. For If someone has a medical condition that's protected by, say, the Americans with Disabilities Act or a state equivalent, you have to make a reasonable accommodation uh, to accommodate them uh, as long as they can still perform the essential functions of the job with that accommodation and if it doesn't pose an undue burden. And if someone has a sincerely held religious belief that prevents them from getting vaccinated, you have to make a reasonable accommodation there. Again, same, same, same standard. And on the conference front, Title VII doesn't apply, so the, the, the religious uh, discrimination issues don't apply. But you still do have Title III of the Americans Disabilities Act that does require reasonable accommodation for someone that has a qualifying disability. But other than that, and that's a very small percentage you know, of, of, of attendees, of employees, other than that, you can require it. But the big question right now is, should we? It's a huge politically charged issue, as, as you and everyone else knows. And so that's one of the big debates going on. Yeah. So what we've talked about so far, is that uh, it sounds like you've definitely put yourself out there. You're getting, you're getting limelight. You're getting speaking engagements. Uh, you've written a lot. You've basically given your personal brand over to to your new company. That's that's how I kind of relate it for myself as well. Like my personal brand is really property of, of my company, if you will. You know, if, if I didn't have this, I I probably wouldn't even do social media and whatnot. But but I, I do it because I know that there's a business development benefit for the company, which will of course benefit me eventually. And it sounds like you're doing that as well. Most managing partners, I would you know, I I get the sense that that they don't want to step out into the limelight like that. They don't want to put themselves out there publicly like that. At least not to the extent that. You you have other techniques that you have tried where it wasn't really your personal brand, but other ways of getting clients that has worked or or maybe even just the opposite didn't work at all? Yeah, those are great questions. First off, the, the decision to name the firm Tenenbaum Law Group, you know, I went into this with, with my colleague Nisha, and we talked about that a lot in the beginning. And I, I don't have a big ego. This was not about my ego and wanting my name on the door, so to speak. But she and I both agreed that I have developed a reputation and there is a brand that goes along with, with the Tenenbaum name and that it made perfect sense to, to name the, the firm in that way. So that, and she was incredibly supportive of that. And our new colleague, Julie, is the same way. And But I, I wanted to say that right off the bat. You know, secondly, I've always been big at Venable and where I, I oversee, oversaw, you know, a couple dozen lawyers to now always not try to make it just about me. Now, that's been a little bit harder over the last over the last year during the pandemic, because I keep getting all of these speaking invitations for, you know, that they want me to speak on, on these things. And so I've been doing them. But I'm really big on trying to to get Nisha and now Julie kind of out there. And they are. And they, they have, you know, speaking engagements lined up, you know, co-writing articles with me, other things like that, because I never want this to just be about me. I'm fine if the brand, you know, has a great reputation and that helps drive people to the firm and to us. But you know, this is a firm. It's not just, you know, a one a, a one man show. 
In terms of other things that that I've done, you know, from a, a business development perspective that, that have really helped. I mean, one thing is referrals, right? Every professional service firm kind of has lives off of referrals. I mean, it's it's a I've never done, I don't really believe in advertising. I don't, I rarely even do any sponsorships. I've never exhibited at a trade show at Venable or now, but just, I, I just don't believe in that sort of business development. You know, I believe in business development by putting your content out there, you know, pushing stuff out there so people know your expertise, uh, letting them see it, hopefully get impressed with it and then come and hire us. But also, uh, you know, I've developed a phenomenal network uh, of hundreds, probably thousands of people now in kind of the nonprofit world, including service providers, like other service providers to nonprofits. I think accountants, consultants, bankers, insurance people, investment people, you know, outside, outside, you know, HR consultants, all of these folks have opportunities to refer people to you. And if you do great work and you have great, you know, reputation, you get referrals from the service providers. And of course you get referrals from, from clients. Um, and even like, I, I, I've always tried very hard, never burn any bridges. I'll always take a call with anyone, even if, you know, Know, just a 30 minute call with, with, with someone, no matter how small the organization, no matter what the situation is, because so, hey, I just believe in that. But it always seems to come full circle. Right? That person later moves on to a larger organization that ends up hiring us. So that person could ask, could say, if you know a good nonprofit lawyer and they refer me. It, it's happened so many times over the last 25 years. Um, so that's something I'm really big on. And in terms of the content, and a lot of my former colleagues from Venable, you know, remember this. I'm really big on kind of recycling and repurposing content, right? We're lawyers. We live on the billable hour, right? So everything we're doing from a business development perspective takes time away from that. And, you know, and my day, time is my biggest commodity by far in my life. It's, it's really difficult. So I don't have the luxury. Someone asked me from uh, if I would do like this uh, hour and a half uh, CLE, uh, continuing legal education webinar on on this topic. And I said, and but there they require you to have a, a very detailed PowerPoint presentation. I said, frankly, I can't, I don't have the time to do that. However, you know, I did this other presentation for another group, completely unrelated group. And I think this would be perfect for this. And if you are okay with me repurposing it for this, I'd be happy to do it. And they yeah. said, absolutely. So I'm really big on kind of repurposing things like that for different audiences. No one cares as long as it's great content, but how you balance and every professional service, you know, provider understands the challenges of how you balance the billable work with the business development stuff. And that's one way that I'm able to do that. Yeah. I completely agree. No, that's great. Yeah. Uh, if you can repurpose, then then you're, you're, you're multiplying your bang for the buck. As an yep. example of this podcast, we're going to repurpose this. It's going to go out on social media. It's going to be turned into pictures of you with some quotes from uh, what you said during this podcast. And uh, yeah, whenever we can, we try to repurpose. You know, like the, the referral traffic, I think is fantastic. Uh, the referrals themselves, I should say. And uh, not only getting them, of course, but but giving them, right? So, uh, you know, you had mentioned that you, you try to connect dots with people and I do the same thing. You know, it's, it's best if I could get a lead or a business development lead uh, from someone that I'm connected to. Uh, the second best is to actually connect them with someone that can help them, whether oh it's me God. or someone else. Yeah. I could not agree more. And I've, I've preached that to other younger lawyers over the years, and, and I, I live that every day. Last week, a client emailed me, and, and she, the CEO of a, of a nonprofit, and she said, you know, do you have a referral for this? And she said, every referral you have ever given me has been phenomenal, you know, right? Whether it's to a service provider, there are a few areas of law that we don't cover that I need to refer out to other, you know, uh, attorney specialists. And I've developed a very carefully cultivated network of specialists in those different areas who are really good lawyers. A lot of like, like me, former big firm lawyers who are now in smaller firms, I've negotiated special rates. You know, they have the same approach to the practice of law being very practical, very responsive, very cost efficient, things like that. And, you know, so I can be that one-stop shop because that is one thing I, I, that's always worked well for me. I want a client to say, I have a legal issue. I'm going to call Jeff or I'm going to call Nisha or Julie. And then if they can't deal with it, they'll refer me to someone else who can. 
in. But having that, you know, the in, like you said, incoming referrals are great, but the outgoing referrals, yeah. I kind of refer to them, are equally important in connecting dots. You do it all the time and it always seems to come back around. Fantastic. Well, Jeff, we're going a little bit long and I want to respect your time. So I appreciate it. Where can people reach out to you if they have a question or they want to work with you? Um, frankly, the easiest way is just uh, go to our website, tenenbaumlegal.com. It's uh, all of our contact information is there, uh, emails and direct phone numbers and everything else for, for, for Julie, Nisha, and myself. And, and obviously, like I said, uh, there's a ton and ton of content on there. Hundreds of articles and presentations, uh, recorded webinars, uh, lots of media items, other things like that. So that, that's the easiest, easiest place to go to find. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Jeff. And if you are interested in reaching out to Array Digital, we focus on law firm marketing. So if you need things like websites or content like Jeff is producing for himself, you can reach us at ArrayLaw. Well, thanks so much, Jeff. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Eric. You got it. Take care.